What is up, DSM? How you doing? Now, I know you love Jesus because here's what, here's what happens sometimes during the Easter week leading up. You have students that go, oh, I'm going to go to Easter Sunday, so I'll just blow off Wednesday night. So thank you for loving Jesus enough to show up on a Wednesday night. So here's what I want to do. I've met some of our VIPs. If you don't know what our VIPs are, these are our first-time visitors to DSM. So guys, you know what to do. Put your hands together and welcome our VIPs to the room. We're so glad you're here. As, uh, as Jimmy Fallon says, you made it. You made it. You're here. Um, secondly, we have people from all over the world, seriously, who listen to the Desperation Podcast. And so if you don't know about it, you can download it off iTunes and subscribe, and you can relive the magic every single week on the Desperation Podcast. But in the meantime, can we, as DSM here in Colorado Springs, welcome everybody who's listening right now. Come on, let's give it up. You know, they're getting fed, but they're a little bit jealous because we really are the best youth group on planet Earth. I'm just saying. All right. So with that said, we are starting a brand new series tonight called Stand. Everybody say Stand. Now, how many of y'all, let me ask a question. How many of y'all were here, oh my gosh, spring break and then, uh, da, da, da. okay. How many of y'all were here the last Wednesday that we were here where God told me like in the second song right before we were supposed to go up that he wanted me to switch the message? Okay. All right. Yeah, God's good. That was a powerful night. The Holy Spirit is legit, um, and I, we, it's just such a powerful night. I don't think I left here till 10 o'clock, and I was just praying with you guys and ministering with you guys, and I also want to let you know that the adults and leaders that are up here at the end of the service can also pray and minister to you, so if you, you don't want to wait in line for, for a hyper-bald guy with a white ball cap and you need someone to pray with you, there's other amazing people here that could do that too. But anyway, with all that said, as I was seeking God... This is kind of what he's continuing to show me about Colorado Springs, because I've lived here about a year and a half, and as your youth pastor, it's my position, it's my job to seek the Lord and say, God, what is it, what are the words that you have for our students here at DSM? And what he's been showing me over the last couple of months especially is that there is a spirit of fear over this region. And what I found is you're like, well, David, I ain't scared. But you know what? Here's what I've learned. Fear does different things to different people. Some people, they just don't want to leave their house, okay? Some people who are overcome with the spirit of fear, they develop these things called obsessive-compulsive disorder. They, they develop anxiety. They, they struggle with depression. They can't even put their finger on why they're depressed or they're struggling with anxiety. And at the root of it is a spirit of fear. Maybe because of something that has happened to you has made you fearful, right? And so as I begin to consider this, I'm like, Lord, then what would you have me share with these students tonight? And he gave me a verse. And from that, everything else came together. And it's a verse that means so much to me because I wish I had time to share with you my story. And one of the most scariest times of my life um, about the Lord leading my family up here, and we didn't even know why. And, and so, but here's what's funny. Prophetically, I got this tattoo before I ever knew that I would really need it like I did. It's this one here. And it's Joshua 1.9, which is the theme verse for our series. And so throw it on the screen. And it says this. It says, this is my command. Everybody say command. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? How can he say that? Because, DSM, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You think God's serious when he said this? 
He said, this is my command. This isn't an option. This isn't if you've had five good quiet times in a row. He's saying, listen, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. If you've exchanged your life for the life of Christ, DSM, this is for you. And so for those of you who are struggling with fear and depression and anxiety tonight, I want to tell you something. I got some good news for you. I got some good news for you. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to get right into it. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is your word, and I'm only a utensil to be used by you. Empty me out, and may I reflect Jesus Christ. May I reflect your power, your authority. And so may I not speak one idle word, but, Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would begin even in this moment in the name of Jesus to break off the chains of fear that are keeping your children bound in the name of Jesus. The enemy has no authority to do that. They have been released by the blood of Jesus. They are free and they're liberated. And so whatever spirit of fear that is coming against them, that's causing them to be paralyzed, that's causing them to feel less than, that's causing them to be worried and have that sick feeling in their stomach and they can't even put their finger on as to why, then I ask in the name of Jesus that you would break those things off right now. I also pray against the spirit of distraction in this room because, Lord, you have a word for these students. And so, God, may I preach with boldness, authority, and humility for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of the love you have for every single person in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. If you don't know what's happening there, I'm the professional. I will let you know what's happening there. In Israel, up to this point, what's been taking place is Israel's looking around at the other pagan nations. i got to give you some context before we get into the story, because context matters, right? So sometimes when you read one verse, you go, oh, that's so nice. But if you read the whole chapter, you're like, oh, my gosh, God's really upset. So you have to look at things in context in Scripture. So here's what's happened. Israel's looking around at the other nations. Last time, okay? Israel's looking around at the other nations, and they're going, man, we want a cool king. Like, God, we know you're a great king, but we want a cool king like the other cool cool kids have, right? And so they keep pestering God. We want a king. We want a king. He's like, I want to be your king. They're like, no, I mean, you're great and all, but, man, if we could just get a cool king who wears, who looks good and is strong and is amazing, we want to be like the cool pagan nations. And so God, you know what he does? He says, okay, great, I'll give you a king. And so King Saul is the first king of Israel. In my mind, I thought the word England. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay. So he's not the king of England. He's the king of Israel. But what we'll see is that he had the look. He was strong. He had this great head of hair. He was mighty. He had the vibe. He looked like a real king. But what we found is that he had a real, a real temptation, a real leaning towards doing things his way and his timing and resting on his own wisdom. And for some of you in here, you're frustrated with God. And you're like, why doesn't God come through? And so some of you have been tempted to kind of jump the gun and say, God, you know what? I'm tired of waiting for you. I'll just take care of things myself. You have the spirit of King Saul. You're wrestling with that. And that's an issue for you. And so you're going to be frustrated, and God doesn't honor that. Well, he doesn't honor this with King Saul either. So he goes, you know what? I can't have a guy leading my people who wants to do things his way and his timing and his wisdom. Sure, he's smart, but he ain't that smart. So he says, Saul... Your days are numbered. I'm going to fire you, and I'm going to find another king to replace you, hotshot. So he goes to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, I need you to go to Bethlehem, and there is the new king that will be there. So Samuel packs up his bags because he's obedient to God, and he goes to Bethlehem. He goes to Bethlehem, and he goes to this guy named Jesse. Now, Jesse has some sons. Everybody say sons. So 
he goes to Jesse and he says, hey, I'm coming here on behalf of the Lord, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to line up all your boys because God has chosen one of them to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine Jesse? Like, my, my boys, my boys, I can't believe it. Hey, honey, bring in the boys. One of them's a king, right? So they all line up. And Samuel goes to the first guy, and his name's Eliab. Everybody say Eliab. So Samuel's like, it's got to be the guy. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I could just imagine that probably Eliab looks like a king. Like, if you were Samuel, wouldn't you go in going, okay, which one is it out of these guys? It's probably the one that looks the most like the king because Saul had the look, so it must be this guy. He's like, is it Eliab? No. And so he continues to ask God. He keeps going down the row, and God's like, that ain't him either. That ain't the king. No, no, no. Well, there's no more boys left. And Samuel goes, God, who is it? And then he goes to Jesse. He's like, Jesse, do you have any other sons? He's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's this little punk kid out tending sheep. You want to talk to him? And Sam was like, I don't know, man. I'm paraphrasing. It's, it's like in the David Martin translation. I don't know, bro, but bring him in. So here's what happens. This little nasty prepubescent boy comes walking through the door. He smells like sheep poop. He's got that wet dog smell. You get what I'm talking about? He's been outside day after day tending sheep. Do you understand that people who tended sheep back in this time were the lowest of the low in society? Either you were like David, you were just like this little kid and you had to do the worst job on the farm, or pedophiles, rapists, and robbers, when they would get out of prison, they would get on this work release program and they would go and be shepherds. It was, the, it was like the lowliest job. And so here's this kid. He's got flies surround him, all around him, like pig pen. And God goes, that's the one. That's the next king of Israel. And this little pimple-faced kid that smells like poop. But you know what Samuel says? Well, I guess I got to anoint him. So in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. How many of y'all are thankful tonight that God does not judge you based upon what you look like on the outside? Really? How many of y'all are thankful that God only judges you by your appearance? Does that make you happier? That's lame. You see, I love the fact that God doesn't, isn't impressed with how we look or how we dress or the address that we live at. I'm so thankful that God, when he looks at us, and other people may dismiss you and say, you're the least spiritual, you're the least smart, you're the least gifted. He goes, nah, I can use someone like that. It's those who think they have it all together, and I call it spiritual vanity. It's the ones who think they have it all together. They have the perfect GPA. They got, they're so self-righteous. They think they've got it all together that they don't even need God to follow God anymore. God can't do anything with a person like that, but he can do something with someone who doesn't look the part, who's a little bit dirty and unqualified. This is King David. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Who? What's he talking about there? He's talking about Saul. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. You see, people, everybody say people, judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the what? He looks at your heart. How is your heart? That will determine how God can use you or not. That's why we're a youth group that doesn't wear masks. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter how spiritual you try to perform and try to impress other people. God's looking at your heart. And this is a safe place for your heart to be accepted.
So Jesse brings out the seven sons. They picked one. Dirty little boy, king of Israel. And then Samuel does this thing. He anoints him right there on the spot, king of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but you will see this taking place with Saul. So Saul got anointed by Samuel, and now King David. But what's the point of anointing? What is the, why would they put this anointing oil over this person and say, okay, now you got the job? Well, I did a little research, and I'm going to share this with you. To anoint means to smear a person or thing with oil for the purpose of setting them apart for a specific task or role. Everybody say specific. So the, check this out. The word anoint, I'm teaching some Bible tonight, is that okay? So the word anoint comes from this Old Testament Hebrew word, mashak. Everybody say mashak. This is where the word Messiah comes from. Oh, but if we go to the New Testament, where we have Greek, the word for anoint in Greek, can you guess what it is? It's Christos. This is why Jesus is called the Christ, the Messiah. He is the anointed one set aside for a specific purpose. Now, why do I slow down to share this with you? Because this matters. We have no reason to sing tonight. We have no reason to come into this room tonight. We have no reason to celebrate a date called Easter unless Jesus walked in the specificity of his calling. And he knew he wasn't here to rule here on earth. He came to bear a cross. And he was anointed to defeat the giants in our lives called sin and death. So Jesus defeated sin, your sin and my sin on the cross. And then three days later, he defeats the power of death by raising himself up and walking straight out of the tomb alive again. Yes. This is why it's called the good news. This is why we celebrate Easter, because we follow and serve and worship a God that's a giant killer, and he's killed every giant in your life as well, whether you know it or not. He was anointed by God, but guess what? Say what, Dave? You also have been anointed as well. You have been set aside for a specific purpose. And you go, well, that's so nice and motivational. Oh, no, I'm just quoting Scripture because in 2 Corinthians 1, 21, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has what? He has, is the, is the verse up there? He's what? Us. He's anointed us. He has set his seal of ownership on us. And he has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So for some of you, you've gotten involved in sin again, man. You've brought that addiction back into your life. You've been struggling with that issue. Maybe you're dealing with fear and anxiety and depression. And you feel like, man, I feel so far from God. How many of y'all would just be honest enough to admit that maybe tonight you feel far from God? Let me just see a show of hands. Just raise your hands. It's okay. This is a safe place. Raise them high. Look around the room, guys. And as if I kept my hand up for another 10 seconds, you would see even more hands going up. You know what? I love you guys. And this is what I told a young lady three weeks ago when I stood right here. And this is what she told me. She said, David, I feel so far from God. And I said, I understand that feeling because I struggle with that sometimes too. But this is what I told her. And I looked her right in the face. I said, you know, it's funny. No one ever comes up to me and says, David, I feel really far from my lungs. She's like, what? And you're like, huh? Now, follow, follow the thinking. 
No one ever th- goes, wow, I just feel so distant from my lungs. Why? You never think that. Why? Because they're constantly here. Wherever you go, your lungs go, right? My point is, is that the Holy Spirit, wherever you go, the Holy Spirit is still there. It's been put as a deposit. You can't outrun God. And what I told her is I said, you feel far from God, but it's only your awareness that's causing you to feel this way. You've lost your awareness of God in your life, but he's never budged an inch from you because he's within you, and you're the temple of God, and his spirit is deposited in you. You are anointed. You have no control over this fact. So if you feel far from God tonight, you're not far at all. He's as close as he ever will be for the rest of eternity. Your awareness needs to change. So you've been set apart by God. You've been anointed. And for David, God's plan is beginning to unfold. Because what happens is is there's going to be a giant that shows up in David's life. And sometimes we live with this idea that once we accept Christ and we receive Christ and we do all the right things, that God keeps all the giants out of our way. No, he doesn't. He shows his greatness when those giants come into our lives. The reason why is David is not able to advance into his anointed purpose as a king until he faces the giant standing right in the middle of his path leading to his destiny. David has a choice to make. Let's see how this all goes down. Now, don't you check out on David and Goliath because this is a sermon for you. 1 Samuel 17.4. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, everybody say Gath, just because that's a stupid name, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. He said, hey, when y'all coming out to fight, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, guys, I mean, gosh, they were so terrified and deeply, deeply shaken. You get the picture here? For Saul, we know he's not good at obeying God. We know this. But he's won battles before. He has, God has given him victories before. Why is it now Goliath stands up and defies the entire army, starting with the king saying, what y'all going to do? Oh, my gosh. Why would they feel that way? Can I tell you? Because when we forget who God really is, we will forget who we really are every time. And this, when this happens, when we forget who God really is and we begin to forget who we are in God, the giants that step into your path keeping you from your destiny and your purpose will seem unbeatable, just like Goliath seemed unbeatable to Saul. You follow? David happens to arrive on the scene in verse 23. Now, I love this story. Come along with me. Here we go. Then David heard him, Goliath, shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. These are trained warriors who happens to have God on their side, by the way. Why are they acting like this? My question to you is, why are we acting like that? All right, let's keep going. (laughs) They go, no, dude, you don't understand, Dave. Have you not seen this giant? He comes out each day and he defies Israel. So David's taking all this in. 
little poop-smelling, ratty little teenage boy. Going, he's like, what? And he says this. He's like, who is this pagan Philistine? Another version of the Bible says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's nasty. That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Who gave this guy permission and power? Fear did. Fear is the one that gave Goliath the power. Because they ran the opposite direction, and so they gave him so much power that they can't see God anymore. He's bigger than everything. So this question that David asks goes up through the ranks, and it goes to the ears of King Saul. And so King Saul hears that this little nasty, poop-smelling shepherd boy saying, Who's Goliath? He's a punk. Saul says, I'd like to meet this young man named David. So now David is standing face to face with Saul. And this is the conversation. David told Saul, now I understand he's talking to the king for the first time. It's like, you know what I mean? You're like going to the, the main, the top banana. And he says, hey, Saul, hey, listen, I can tell you got some issues here. You got some problems. Um, he probably said it more like this because his voice hadn't changed yet, right? He said, don't worry about this Philistine, man. I'll go fight him. Saul tells David, you so crazy. And David's like, no, I can really do this. I think I got this. So Saul reaches over and he grabs his helmet and his armor and he says, bro, here's everything I've got. Go with God and may his mercy be upon you because you're about to. Now my voice is cracking. I made fun of David. That's, that's what I get. That's some, some divine intervention right there. So David leaves, and he says, I don't need this armor. I have a better idea. I got a much better idea. The idea is some rocks. What? You got to understand, Goliath is completely covered in armor. I got to find some rocks. Oh, yeah, here we go. That, man, that's a smooth stone. I think I'll take this one. I'll put that one in. Okay, here's a couple others. So David managed to pick up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's, his shepherd's bag. Then, he, then, armed only with the shepherd's staff and his sling, he starts marching across to the Philistines. This crazy young man who is on a suicide mission from the Israelites' perspective. They're like, that poor kid, he's not going to live to see the sunset today. Goliath sees David for the first time, and Goliath begins to shout threats to David. Goliath's like, all right, come on over here, boy. I'll feed you to the birds. Well, David retorts back. He says, you come at me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you, O giant, in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And David goes on to say, he says, Goliath, and not only will I kill you, but I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to feed you to the birds and the wild animals. How do you like me now? Now, do you think David's serious? Come at me, bro. That's exactly right. So at this point is on. So scripture says Goliath starts running towards David. David starts running towards Goliath, and everybody's going, oh, my gosh, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Here's a machine and this little dude all by himself, charging, reaching into his shepherd's bag while he's still running. He takes out a stone, and he hurls it with a sling, and it hit the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled, and he fell face down on the ground. One stone, everybody say one stone. 
Guys, the stone will not pick itself up for you. The victory is yours. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. But when it comes time to face your giants, guys, you got to pick that stone up. The problem is, is we don't. And all we do is we text our friends, we Instagram it, we make little memes for Instagram, we talk about our giant. We talk about the giant of depression, we talk about the giant of anxiety, we talk about the giant of addiction, and and all of these things, and they're real issues. But we're talking like the Israelites as if we have no hope. you got to pick up some stones in your life and go, who is this giant? How dare dare this giant say that it's bigger than my God who can defeat it, right? We got to stop living like the Israelites. So Goliath is on his face. Guess what happens? David goes over and he takes Goliath's own sword out and chops his head off. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't it funny how they leave that out of the kid's version when your parents read it to you? Can you imagine, can you imagine like putting your little one down at night? Oh, and, and then David took out a stone and he killed the giant and did all the rest of his stuff. And then he cut his head off just like Isis does. <sighs> Too soon? <sighs> oh, Lord. Maybe if you're, maybe you're wondering, well, what's the point of the story, Dave? I grew up this story like you guys have. Even the most pagan person knows the story of David and Goliath. Why am I sharing this story with you? It seems so elementary and above us, right? No. While it absolutely is a story about God's faithfulness, defeating giants, and giving David this power and prominence and favor, I, I, I really believe that this is a story about us. And it's a story about our identity. Everybody say identity. And I say that because there's going to be giants that show up in our paths, and some of you are facing them tonight, and you don't know what to do, and you are fearful, and you don't know how to even respond to some of the giants in your life. So guys, please hear me. I'm not here to make light of your giants, but I would be remiss as your pastor to not say that there's a way to overcome them. And so I want you to receive this tonight. I think there's three things quickly we can learn from David in this story. The first thing is that David knew who God was. That's where you have to start. we got to stop looking at God as this weakling, distant, aloof God and understand that he is just as interested in guiding that one stone to kill the giant in David's life as he is wanting to do it for you. Like, God is interested in you. He loves you. He delights in the details of your life. But he can't do anything if we just stay back and cower in fear and say, oh, God, that giant's so scary. Help me to live another day. You see, that's what the Israelites were doing, but that doesn't take care of the giant. God's like, if I could just get someone to have the guts to step out, I'll do the rest. Right? God knew, David knew who God was, and I'm learning that, guys, that this matters. Because beyond addiction and hurts and habits and hang-ups, the tool that the enemy will use that is the most effective in a Christian's life is fear. To keep you paralyzed. That's what he wants more than anything else. If he can't destroy you other ways, he'll use fear to keep you stagnant. The thing is, 
Guys, you don't learn to defeat giants when you wake up and walk in your path and find one. You go, oh, well, I better start figuring out how to defeat a giant. That's not the time. You see, David understood something. You don't want to know how, why he knew who God was? Because when he was in the field tending sheep, when no one else was paying attention to him, he was learning how to be a worshiper. When no one else, when it was just sheep and him, he was leading little church services, worship services, with sheep and, my, and God, and God was showing up. You see, this is where David discovered his passion for God. This is when he began to see the power of intercession. This is where he began to consecrate himself and purify himself because he understood the nature of God. And the more he pursued him, the more he consecrated and set himself apart. He didn't even know why. He never would have dreamt he would be a king. But he loved God. But through the pursuits of passion, intercession, consecration, he found his mission and his purpose. And then he's anointed king. So now there's a giant standing in the middle of his path. This is not a problem because he knows who God is. Tonight, I encourage you to learn who God is. You see, this is not going to happen when you stand in the front I'm not knocking anybody that stands in front. I stand in the front and worship too. But if this is the only time that you're looking, God, looking to God and worshiping him and filling him, it's okay. But David didn't always just run to the temple once a week to do this. He did this as a lifestyle. This is why it's called the desperation lifestyle that we are promoting and advocating for because this is the lifestyle that David chose. And he became a giant killer, and the Lord rewarded him with the nation of Israel to lead and to steward because he could be trusted when no one else was looking. So when your friends are on in their bedrooms and they're surfing porn sites or they're sexting one another or they're just droning through instant or social media and they're not doing anything, you can be the one that's going, no, I'm going in my bedroom where no one is looking and I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm going to intercede for my friends. I'm going to seek the face of God. And then I will learn and he will show up and he will show you who he is. You know who God is tonight? The next thing that David does, and I think that helped him, is David knew who he was. But here's what I want to let you, do, let you know. You see, Deuteronomy 24 says this. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. And so when I think David wrote this passage in Psalm 54, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. It's written from a man who knows God. You see, my salvation and my honor, DSM, depends upon God. And God is my mighty rock. We don't have to hunt for stones. We stand on the rock. He's our mighty rock, our refuge. And so we could be encouraged to trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. Let him show you that he could be a refuge in your life. Learn to know who God is, and through that you will also know who you are. Remember, man looks at appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? Because if you peeled back the layer of this little ratty shepherd boy, what you would find is the heart of a warrior poet. What you would find is someone who has a king's heart, someone who's ready to come and fight. But you go, David, that's good. But if you peeled back the layers of me, I don't know if you would find a warrior. I don't know if you would find a king. What I think you would find, David, is someone who's a loser. I think David honestly... Like, I appreciate how inspirational this can be, but David, you don't understand. I feel stupid. I feel ugly on the inside. I feel fat. I don't feel lovable. I feel like I'm a fake. I can't take off the mask. 
So I know when God looks at my heart, he sees fraud. That's the giant talking in your life. Because God never calls his children those names. The enemy does. The giant will. But God doesn't. And I think we have an identity crisis because we've forgotten who God is. We now begin to go, I don't know who I am. What is, what is my purpose? And so then we have peers begin to speak into our lives and say, oh, you're probably attracted to these types of people. Or we have peers coming and saying, oh, no, you're this type of person. You're that type of person. Because the enemy would love to come in and start putting labels on you because you've forgotten who God is. You forget who you are. And so we begin to take these other labels on that culture wants to put on us. And we go, I guess this is what I am. And you've lost your true identity. You're a child of God. This is huge. And please put this slide up because what you believe about God and yourself will determine, everybody say determine. It will determine what you do or don't do with your life. Labels are important because labels then categorize and they go on certain shelves and they're assigned for other things. You have not been anointed to be anything other than a child of God. And so if you don't start there in terms of your identity, you're already in the bucket of cluelessness when it comes to understanding what God has purposed you for, and you will never discover your purpose, or it will be a very hard road in getting there. Just as God chose David, I'm here to tell you tonight, guys, that you are chosen as well. How can I say that? Because Ephesians, everybody say Ephesians. The Word of God says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Everybody say, in love. You see, before you even got here, Jesus loved you. And he says, in love, I've predestined you to be adopted as my son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, DSM, the real truth about you tonight is that, number one, take off the labels tonight. In this moment, say, I'm not what people say I am. I'm not what I think I am when I look in the mirror. I'm going to stand on who God says I am. And with that, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is why you've been anointed. You've been set apart for a specific purpose. Don't let that giant reassign your identity. You're a child of God. The last thing is that David knew who the enemy was. You see, I think sometimes this is where we can get really messed up. You see, David did something different than what most of us do when we face our giants, and it's this. David chose, he's like, yeah, that's a, that's a big old giant. He's ugly. He could eat my face off if he wanted to. But compared to the size of my God, the giant is nothing. And this is where we go amiss. David knew who his enemy was. Do you know who your enemy is tonight? 1 Peter 5.8 will tell you. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Everybody say the devil. That is your enemy, guys. It's not your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. It's, it's, not, it's not your parents. It's not the bully at your school or the one who's writing trash on your social media. I'm telling you, that's not your enemy. What you go, David, how is that so? Well, Ephesians comes back at 612 and says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. David understood that this was a spiritual battle. This was not about a big, tall guy with a bad attitude that we had to overcome here. This was the spirit of fear personified in front of David. And the spirit of fear was going to do his best to keep David from achieving his destiny. The spirit of fear is doing its best to keep you from stepping forward. But you got to understand, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, the things that make us afraid, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. What 
gave David the guts to fight this giant. He knew who God was. He knew who he was. And he knew who the enemy was in light of who God is. And this is a recipe for victory, guys, as Christians. Here's the thing. David understood that he could not wish or pray this giant away. Right? He didn't go to Saul and say, bro, I'm going to fast for seven days, and, and I'm going I'm to pray, and I'm going to go into the quiet room, and the war room, right? And I'm just going to pray that, Lord, that you'll just send out a lightning bolt just to kill old Goliath. No, that's not how the story goes. David had to walk out by himself with all these men who had the top-notch, most elite equipment to do war, and he picked up a couple of rocks and said, okay, God, let's get after it. It's crazy, but this is how the life of a Christ follower looks. He had to deal with it. So my question is this. When I sit down with so many, man, for the last decade I've sat down with students just like you guys, fearful. If we were at Starbucks, okay, you know, you know, you know my place, right? And we're sitting in those blessed and highly favored chairs, the, the leather ones, you know, and we're there. What would you say if I ask you this question? What is your giant? As I ask this question immediately, starts coming into your mind, right? And maybe the joy that you're experiencing in this moment of being able to just kind of be in here away from your situations just kind of evaporated because reality's back. And you know that freaking giant is still here. What do we do? If I asked you that, what would you say? What I've learned is I can take all of your answers, regardless of what they are, and put them into three big buckets. And I think the number one giant in most of our lives is the giant of fear. Everybody say fear call it for what it is. And fear is not just about things that go bump in the night, right? For me, fear kind of disguises itself in this way. The what ifs and the what abouts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <gasps> what if this happens? <gasps> what about that? Oh my gosh, if this ever happened, <gasps> right? And so we start having these, have you noticed that the what ifs and the what abouts are never about positive things? It's not like, <gasps> what if I Get a Ferrari tomorrow because someone's nice to me. What about the fact that, man, I'm going to wake up and, and I'll, I'll have hair, right? It's, it's never stuff like that. It's always what if, what happens if I lose my hair, right? It's always negative. It's always tilted negative, the what ifs and the what abouts. What if stuff happens? What if I fail? What if I don't get the scholarship? What if I get found out? What if my parents get divorced? What if, what about? Guys, you're being bullied. You don't even have to get out of your bed. And the enemy is taunting you, and your giant of fear is saying, what about that? What about this? It's happened before. It could probably happen again. But, everybody say but. And I need everybody on this side to all lock eyes with me because I'm going to give you some life stuff right here, man. This will bless you for the rest of your life. What if we picked up a stone instead? Instead of texting our friends saying, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need advice. Texting me at 11.30 at night going, David, I need help. It's good. I don't mind. But why don't you learn to pick up a stone yourself? I got my own giants to kill. You're big. You, you think you're grown? Well, pick up a stone. Stone. Take this stone at your, at your fear and say, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And you go, no us, no you. God has not given me a spirit of fear. You begin to personalize these stones. He's the No but of power and love and self-discipline. What if we aim that stone at the face of our giant, of fear? 
Maybe if we pick up another stone, we're still afraid. We're still struggling with anxiety. We go, no, 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 no. No, Goliath, this is it. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? This is scripture, guys. You're picking up stones. The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Are y'all with me? What if we picked up another stone and said, God is my refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear. Say this with me. So we will not fear. Yeah. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. The what ifs and the what abouts, whatever. I want to remind you that God has not destined us to be cowards. He's called us to be conquerors. Everybody say conquerors. So I want you to think about your biggest fear tonight. And at the count of three, I want you to say in the name of Jesus, enough. And I want you to look at the giant in the face tonight with the boldness of David. Was he scared? Absolutely. But he did it anyway. So at the count of three, in the name of Jesus, I want you to yell enough to your giant. One, two, three, in the name of Jesus. I don't believe you. That giant is like, oh, isn't that cute? Okay. In the name of Jesus. Yes, say it to your giant. When you're alone in your room, when you're, you feel alone, you see the word of God is full of stones. God's like, here you go. Get after it. Start throwing stones. The other giant I see is the giant of regret and shame. Anybody feel me on this one? Oh, yeah, four people have regret and shame in the house, and the rest are liars, okay? Here's the truth. The Bible says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he says. So the Bible says. It was written to Christians, by the way. But how come, how come, like if you're like me, you're like, I know God forgives me. I know David. But I can't forgive myself. Like I can't forgive myself for how stupid. Why do I keep going back to that thing? I hate this so much. I'm an idiot. I suck. You see, fear, regret, and shame. Man, if it ain't one, it's the other. I got some stones for you, and I'm going to share them with you. What if we picked up a stone when we felt like that in those moments, and we said, no, I'm going to throw this stone, and I will focus on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. Not your past, but just this one truth. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You see, when Jesus paid it all, he paid it all. When he said it's finished, he's like, guys, it's finished. You don't have to put yourself up on the cross yourself. I've already taken care of it. You see, my forgiveness is already there. My provision and my grace is already there. Don't abuse it. But when you need it, it's there, and it exceeds your worst thing. So you can walk in liberty and say, no, Satan, I'm not doing it. Giant of regret and shame, I'm not doing it anymore. You've had too much time to re-identify me, but God says that I get to forget it, so I will. So you throw a stone. The last one is the giant of sin, though. You see, this is not a giant that you can defeat. Some of you, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been checking God out, and you thought that showing up to church and these types of things will kind of handle the issue of, of some of the worst things in your life, right? No, you see, what you got to understand is that apart from Jesus, 
we don't have a, we don't have a prayer against this giant. There's not enough self-help books on the planet Earth to help you overcome the giant of sin in your life. All you become is just a better, nicer sinner, but you're still separated from God. You see, Jesus came because he's the only one who could handle and defeat this giant for us. Here's what this looks like. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. Everybody say everyone. You see, we all fall short, starting with your youth, Pastor, from this God's glorious standard, which is perfection. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, he declares DSM tonight to you, if you're in Christ, that you are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what would, what would do in this present time and what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself, listen to this, guys, is fair. And God is just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they what? When they believe in who? The ultimate giant killer, Jesus Christ. So as children of God, forgiven, redeemed, we can look at the giant of sin, we can look at the giant of Satan in the face and say, you, I was once dead because of my sins, and because of my sinful nature I had not yet been cut away. Oh, but something happened. Then God made us alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, everybody say, and in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Doesn't that sound like a little shepherd boy that defeated the giant? He shamed that giant that day. You see, this is a story about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the better David. He came. This was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us so we don't have to have giants in our lives anymore. We're not overcome. We're not subservient to them anymore. They have no power. They have no authority unless we give it to them. The giants are dead. The Pharaoh is dead. And as Christ followers, our identity isn't based on status, circumstance, or our opinions of ourselves, but on who God says we are. And you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, and that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So tonight, I'm going to challenge you right now. If you're ready to stand again, get up on your feet right now. As a physical testimony of what God and you want him to do in your life. And guess what? Say what, Dave? I've put stones underneath every single chair in this room. Bend down and pick up your stones right now. Pick them up. Pick them up. Pick up the stones. If you're on the front row, we'll get you some stones. Y'all ready? Put your stones in the air. This is the word of God, and this is the stone. These are the stones you will throw. You will no longer consult friends about how to navigate your giants. No longer do you have to consult anybody else. You consult the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. 
His word is your rock and your stone. These are promises that you could stand on. And so you put this on your mirror. You put this on your locker door. You stick it on your forehead. I don't care. But when the giants, funny people, when the giants begin to shout in your life and you're like, oh, no, you pick up stones. You are chosen. So raise them up in the air. This is the word of God. So guys, tonight, I want you to remember this night. Because tonight, you stand blameless. Tonight, you stand forgiven. Tonight, we stand as the righteous one. Tonight, we stand as the righteous sons and daughters of the living King, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So pray out loud with me. Come on, pray out loud. Repeat after me. I hold these stones up. The holy word of God. His promises and his giftings and his callings are irrevocable. No giant can take away my destiny if I am in Christ Jesus. So when I get scared, when the giant of regret and shame, when sin tries to creep back in, I will start throwing stones because the giant's already been defeated. And in the name of Jesus, I stand victorious tonight. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Y'all with me? So tonight, I wanted to encourage you guys. Jesus loves you and so do we. So if my adult leaders can come up here really quickly to the front. Maybe there's a specific giant that I didn't address tonight. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. The service ain't done yet. If there's a specific giant that I didn't address and you're like, yeah, but Dave, I need, I need some help. I, I'm so weak, I can barely pick the stones up. You see all these amazing people up here? I trust each and every one of them with my own life. And so I want to let you know, tonight, don't just leave out of here and just like forget. No, no, no. Let us pray with you. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you didn't realize this is what he's done for you and you want a relationship with the ultimate giant killer. You thought you had to be good. You thought you had to be moral in order to be loved by God, but Jesus has paid it all. So your job is to say please and thank you. And so if you want to receive Christ tonight, at the end, as the band begins to worship and play for a little bit, just come up and pick any of these people, and they will lead you into an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Are you all glad you came to church tonight? Pray for your friends. Invite them here next week because we're going to do week two, which is the last week of this new series called Stand. It's a short series, but it's going to be a fun sermon next week. So that is the night to invite your friends. Let's fill this place up because more people need giants killed in their lives. Yeah? Right? I love you guys. Be blessed. Let's continue to worship. You're a child of God. Now walk in the authority of that. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're anointed. You're loved. You're free. You're a child of God. May God bless you this week. And Sunday, wherever you go, if you go to church, I want you to worship like you've never worshiped before because your understanding has been renewed of what Jesus has done for you as your giant killer, as our king. So have a great Easter and a safe Easter, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Love you guys. Good night.